up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Cena Nerd. It's your boy, Matt. Joining me this week to talk some Mr. Robot is ever-present Sarah Belmont. Hello, friend. I totally thought you were going to call me Everett, and then I would have been really offended and gotten off the Skype call. Wow. I You don't sound anything like Everett. Your name doesn't even look like I Everett. I know. No, we are, we are from two different genders and everything, so that Hi, would Everett. be really weird that... You're playing too much Pokemon Go. That's all I can say. Hey, you know what? I'm, so. <laughs> I'm saving money on my gym membership, and I'm playing Pokemon oh, wow. Go instead. It's the sure. best fitness app. <laughs> but uh, speaking of, I don't know, segues, <laughs> we're also welcoming a new friend to the podcast. Her name is Akira, and she's the creator of the Hello Friend community, and she's also the host of the Mr. Robot podcast. So please welcome and clap along with Akira. Yay! Hi, thanks for having me on. Of course, yeah. It's um, it's been a long time coming. You're so active in the um, Mr. Robot fan community, and we see your tweets all the time. And um, yeah, we had such a crazy episode. We were like, yeah, we got to get her on. So thanks for being here. Yeah, that's what happened. Mm -hmm. Matt was totally involved in that process. Absolutely. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) I'm the most involved. It's been a process a year in the making, we can say. Yeah, for yep. sure. Yeah. Yep. It only took Matt a year to make that happen. All me. Sarah did nothing. <laughs> I think everyone who listens to our show knows that you kind of do everything, Sarah, so don't worry about it. So let's just jump oh, into I'm the episode. Not. We had this origin story uh, about the F Society headquarters. It's almost like a, like a ghost story, how mm-hmm. it's like haunted and it's like cursed and stuff. Um, it's changed hands many times and always to the owner's doom. I wanted to ask you guys, so is it by fate that Elliot was led to this specific arcade or do you see it just being like, it's just a coincidence? Are you not, you know, superstitious about that? Sarah, we'll start with you. I, I'm not superstitious, superstitious, but I'll, at the same time, it, it's just funny how they're playing with this idea that um, that things happen by chance every now and then, but it feels like destiny. And so hopefully, maybe in later episodes or later seasons, they really explore that duality in life that we see. And now that I'm thinking about it a little bit more, it kind of also plays into what Leon was bringing up in the first episode this season when he was talking about <coughs> Seinfeld and about how random events happen and then we read into them and but at the end of the day it just works out like that so you don't really know if there's something controlling these events or if life is just happening and you're just along for the ride so and that also plays into mr robot elliot relationship altogether yeah, it's hard to ignore the the, the patterns here did you want to jump in on that um yeah i mean I don't really consider myself entirely superstitious, although, I mean, I have some instances where, you know, like, say, if I take the same route to work or something, if I sometimes it just happens where if I change one little thing to whatever routine I've got going on in the day, yeah, there might be some effect, ripple effect, I guess, to that. But then again, like you say, I mean, it could have just been completely random that, oh, you know, was it just completely random or was it just me changing that one thing that just set just caused this order of chaos and caused my day to go to crap after that but yeah but i just found it very interesting that for f society and their mission 
um, to be conducting it in a place that the previous owner before Romero dubbed it as the nexus of evil. I thought, <laughs> I thought that that was really interesting. I'm like, oh, okay. So yeah, yeah. I was like, that was really interesting. <laughs> Nexus of evil is you, you, kind of a damning kind of <laughs> phrase for sure. Is there anything to say? No, I was just going to add on that it's it's funny, and I didn't think about this before, but the episode begins with this idea of superstition. And then towards the end, we have Elliot attend church group <laughs> and totally denounce God. And not only God in general, the idea of God, but also his own God being Mr. Robot. So it kind of feels like maybe that's what Sam, you know, because I'm his bro. <laughs> The first name basis with uh, the oh, yeah, creator. Oh, yeah. yeah, if only was going for um, with having both of those scenes take place in the same episode to play with that ideology where is somebody really controlling our fate, which would be God, or does life just have this supernatural entity within it and just randomly plays out? Right, yeah, yeah, I never really thought about that, but, you know, uh, Mr. Robot episodes, they, they tend to really circle back. And they tend to kind of, you know, book in a lot of their ideas within mm-hmm. the episode. Um, they stick to a certain theme. Uh, but that's kind of how it ties to the end. But how do you think that the opening sequence kind of set the table for the rest of the episode? Because there's a lot of interaction with core F Society members. And then we see that later on. So, uh, Akira, like, I wanted to ask, like, the opening, <laughs> how does that really affect kind of how Mobley reacts to finding Romero as well as contacting the rest of the Core F Society members? Well, I found it really interesting that um, Mobley tells Romero, oh, you'll, yeah, he's a cool guy. I mean, he's a little weird, but you like him. Actually, no, you'll hate him. And immediately with that, I was thinking back to um, season one when they're about to try to hack the van, when Mobley and Romero are about to hack the van to try to get to Steel Mountain. And Romero is telling Mobley, you know, something's not right. I don't trust this. And then Mobley is like, oh, it's not about trust. And then um, I just thought that it was really funny that, you know, given what happened to, given what happened to Romero in this episode, now it's Mobley that's, you know, saying the exact same sentiment that, Romero is saying about Elliot, right. but now he's saying about, he's saying it about Elliot and Darlene. Right. Yeah. He had like nothing yeah. to confirm it until like <laughs> he found poor Romero's bloody body. So, yeah, you know, uh, so he, he finds a body. It's, it seems like it's been there for a while because no one's really been down there. Um, or has it been down there for a while? Um, how yeah. long has it been down there, Matt? I don't want to. I don't want to answer it because you're probably going to correct me. I think it's been there for like over a month. Sarah, would you like to comment on that? No, all I was explaining before we started the show was that the whole incident, but incident between Mr. Robot and Romero took place in episode seven last year, <laughs> and this season picks up. 30 days after the 5-9 hack. So that's more than a month. And also, we see Romero in the finale. So it happened even after the missing three days in Elliot's life. There was something between the end of season one and the start of season two where someone killed Romero. And we don't... 
I think it's really interesting that everyone is kind of in agreement about this. It was Elliot, a.k.a. Mr. Robot, who killed off Romero. But that's not even technically confirmed. I mean, right. Tyrell could have done it for all we know. That is true. Be crazy. But also, <laughs> well, yeah, that is true. It could have been Tyrell also. But one thing that I took a note of, um, going back to Romero's backstory of... Um, of the whole arcade and how he even became, you know, owner of it. He was able to gain ownership of it through his um, cellmate. And I got to thinking, okay, well, wait a minute, cellmate. Um, And Romero was in jail for six, uh, six years. We don't know how long uh, his cellmate Clyde was in jail, but in season one, there was that prison break where Elliot just released Mm -hmm. every single prisoner so I got to thinking, well, what if Clyde was one of those inmates that got out and got pissed that Romero did not keep his promise and right. shot him? Because uh, Romero was saying that the whole situation that happened with uh, his twin brother and with Clyde's twin brother and his and their dad, the whole arcade just drove him crazy. So that's another name that I'm going to toss out there. Um I could be wrong, but I just felt that that was interesting. But then also considering that promises seem to be very important to a few characters in um, in the show. Like whenever they make you promise, there is, is there, sen- there tends to be a significance to that. Like with Shayla, when she made, right. pro- you know, like I take promises to heart and everything. And, you know, Clive was like, dude, you got to you really got to you got to burn this place down. And he did not Right. Right. And that that's interesting that you bring up that episode and that scene because that ties so much into Vera as a character. Mm-hmm. And he always, for me at least, looking back at season one, Rep always talked about the idea that there's like a supernatural force in the world and things and like a destiny and fate. And he really thought like after he realized who Elliot was... Like, Mm -hmm. it was destiny that brought them together. So that would be an interesting tie-in. Today, when I was thinking more about Romero and what could have happened leading up to his death, is I went back to the season one finale with the knock at the door. And I'm like, well, what if that was Romero who was knocking at Elliot's door? And he comes to Elliot and is like, all this is happening and it's our fault. Maybe we should turn ourselves in because I'm not sure if I really got what I bargained for in this whole deal Mm -hmm. Um, because he really was after the money and we can see with his grandmother that that didn't really work out for him. So maybe he was also going the Gideon route and wanting to throw Elliot under the bus and then Mr. Robot took it into his own hands. Hmm. That is a good possibility that it could have been Romero at the door. Um, oh, but that was actually his mom that he's caring for, uh, Romero's mom. But yeah, but yeah, but I definitely, I can see where it could be Romero at the door because we definitely did get to see, um, Mobley, Trenton and, uh, Romero in the season finale. They're all just like at that real, you know, I think it has hit them. Mm -hmm. Like, what did we just do? You know, it's kind of funny that they're also the ones again with with Elliot too, because Elliot was you know telling Darlene, "I told you we shouldn't have done this," and Darlene seems to be the only one that was actually happy about the hack happening um, and having yeah. to keep them, you know, jump up the morale and everything. So, yeah, it's interesting interesting to see, especially with Mobley and Trenton, that that again 
what did we bargain for? Um, you know, Darlene and uh, Trenton again have that, you know, little tiff about, well, I don't really care for juvenile hijinks or something like that with the whole scene of bur- having uh, Scott Mills burn the money. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it's kind of should come as it should come as no surprise to Darlene that Trenton would feel that way because she even told her during that one scene in season one, like, the only thing that you appear to care about is anarchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wasn't that Momentary. Yeah. And I feel like that was yeah. the what's it called? Uh like the point of, of doing the five nine hack was to just give you know con- like you know to release control of other people and let them figure it out. Let the people figure out what they want to do now with their money. So Or it was revenge for the Alderson siblings for what happened to their dad. A little bit of that, but I've but the, a little bit of that. I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm just saying it it's that was their mantra. You know, that's what they said, right? Like over the you know, when they made the video and stuff. So, yeah, like F Society, the core members, they're sort of, you know, in a, they have like a riff now kind of between everybody because Mowgli wants to leave. And mm-hmm. then, you know, Trent's not there anymore. So Darlene has to pick up all the pieces and it seems like that's what she's been trying to do this whole time. Shifting focus now to the rest of uh, this giant ensemble cast is doing so good. Um, in the season, um, I want to switch to Ray because he is a, like a giant walking question mark. I have no idea what he's doing on the show. I have no idea what his purpose is, as well as his uh, motives. So I wanted to, um, you know, throw some questions at you guys. Sarah, we'll start with you. Like, we see more like layers of his character being peeled back. Like, who do you think like Ray is like working for? Like, is he working for somebody other than himself? Um, I don't think that I never jumped to that conclusion because I saw in the notes that you thought maybe it was the dark army. And I think that's a far stretch. I think his character is he he's driven for personal need. I feel like he's owned this section of the neighborhood if it's a neighborhood, because I mean, the psych ward theory for in this episode practically came to life for me. Because I could see a lot of things that was very suspicious, especially involving Ray's character. So I think maybe that's what you're <laughs> seeing, Matt, when you paint him as a giant question mark. It appears that he's this neighborhood character, yet he's kind of really calculative. Calculative? Yeah, that's a word. And, he's a calculator. No, yeah, yeah, he's a calculator. <laughs> Arrow reference. There we go. We get one. <laughs> we get one every episode. <laughs> Have to. But he, so I think he's, he's like an instrument right now. And maybe Mr. Robot is controlling him to a certain gr- degree at two. I don't like this question, Matt. That's what I'm. Well, the reason why I asked is because <laughs> he had that scene where, you know, he's trying to shake down like one of, or he's figuring out why one of his, you know, technical guys that are, you know, extracting bitcoins guess what it is yeah. um mm-hmm. you know he's figuring out why it's not working or why it's coming out less and less they're getting less you know currency coming through and you know i you know he has a whole van he has his driver and everything so i'm like who who where is this money going towards that's why i wanted to you know ask you guys you know if you have any theories about that here did you want to jump in on that I'm still, I will agree with you that Ray is still, for me, a question mark. Um, but I do enjoy seeing the layers slowly starting to peel back on him. 
there's definitely that question of what is it exactly well we get to see more of exactly what he wants but again the motive behind it is still unclear and also mm-hmm. with his motive of why he is maybe trying to get Elliot to do it but essentially he's having a problem with getting that service up and running because every time the site goes up um someone is stealing the money and it and crashing the system so it like the the guy was explaining that it essentially needs to be moved to another server on a rotating system of hot and cold wallets and the way that um, Russell Brandom explained it, explained the difference between the hot and cold wallets is that cold wallets is pretty much um, as if you had gold in the bank. You know, that's just money that you can't really touch. But a hot wallet is like having cash. And there's still a little bit more to it um, as far as understanding it more so. I mean, I'll have to go back and read through uh, Russell's commentary again. But essentially, like in a nutshell, that's pretty much what ray needs and he you know figuring out despite beating his tech guy to having his tech guy beat to the pulp yeah I, you know he only is basically able to just do the bare minimum he really cannot he doesn't have the juice to get um to get going what ray really needs and i think that this is definitely probably where that drive for ray to get elliot on board because everyone always talks about how El, how good Elliot is, you know, best, you know, as Mobley says, he's the best coder I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So he's trying to recruit Elliot for whatever he's, he's a part of. Interesting. And he has mm-hmm. a, he has an interesting way to well, bring him on by what he's saying. What's up, Sarah? <laughs> no, no, no. I was just going to add like how Akira brought up the Bitcoin. And it's funny because in the first episode, we see them burn, or it was the second episode, actually, but we see them burn the money in the park because money doesn't mean anything anymore. And Bitcoin is like virtual virtual money. So it's interesting that they're using that for this new antagonist. And that's... And he's frustrated right now because that's how he can like assert power and control over his organization or whatever he's doing. Mm-hmm. And but he needs like a person like Elliot to help restore that and keep that in a balance because in ever since the five nine hack, it's kind of been everything's been thrown out of balance where even the people with the money and the power and the control over the society is kind of at the will and mercy of the F society hackers and people who understand this technology and how to manipulate it. Yeah. It's like, I think um, there was a little line that said like, there's only like a $50 allowance or something like that. I don't know if you heard Ray say that about the flowers that he got. Yeah. That's related. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. The the banking system is just all kinds of screwed up thanks to the hack because, um, going back to towards the end of episode one, where you have that, um, the woman who was at the bank trying to argue, Mm -hmm. you know, I paid my bills and everything. You know, how are you guys trying to tell me I don't pay my bills on time? And the, and the teller is having to, explain to the woman, well, we've had people foraging payments and everything like that. So the banking system is just in complete utter chaos right now. And she's just, well, actually cancel my account. And then the teller is also explaining, well, if you did that, I can't guarantee that we'll be able to give you all your money because banks, yeah, because banks are pretty much hoarding cash right now because 
they're now at a point where they're only allowed to give so much on hand. And I guess people are only allowed to get their to get their to get so much money out of the bank right now. Um, Because even immediately after the hack, during the meeting between um, between Gideon and his financial uh, advisor for Allsafe, you know, she was even saying, you know, how hard it was to try to use their ATM cards and everything. So, I just wanted to make a quick tangent about how good the writers and the and creator Sam is about uh, sticking with like world building and staying mm-hmm. consistent with it. Because like little lines, like saying you have a fifty dollar allowance, a little scene that's not even two minutes about a lady trying to get her money from the bank doesn't work. There's like lines outside of an ATM. You know, there's like cash only businesses coming out now. It's I, I think it's a it, it shows that what a great show is by the little details that they put in every single episode to keep that universe alive and not just right. as a backdrop, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like how you have to pay up front at a high right fancy dining restaurant with F society protesters outside. And the the it was practically empty when Angela and Philip Robert. Yeah, yeah. I, I first thought that they like, um, like reserved the whole restaurant, and I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, since they had to pay up front, yeah, no one's there. It makes sense because no one has money. True, yeah. and then also, um, yeah, like you said, like no one has any money, or people are being very cautious with how they're even going to spend their whatever money they are able to get their hands on. Yeah, because every the system's just been thrown into a complete and utter chaos thanks to F Society. So yeah. despite their good intentions, you know, I think that they are starting to realize that they, oh, wait, maybe we've made the situation worse for everybody. And mm-hmm. we did see Darlene admit it to a fault, but at the same time, she doesn't want to completely give that thought any type of... That whole, I guess it's, for her, it's that whole thing that if you say it enough times, it will turn out to be true. So I, she really does not want to give it that much clout right now. So it's just, no, it's not over yet. This is only, you know, you may have won the battle, but we're still in a war, you know. So it's going to keep going. Right. And, and taking her words, it's like we're in, a, we're, in the, we're in a war right now and we're on the losing side. And I think that's uh, a great insight to how she feels about what's going on. and Because um, I had... I guess I didn't really give it some thought that E-Corp is kind of like winning because they, they're still, you know, upright and they're still handling it. They're just inconveniencing the people that they wish that they, you know, freed from them. So they yeah. have confidence. They have con- <laughs> yeah, Darlene has so much confidence in F Society. I love it. Well, to an extent, I mean, I would argue to an extent that yes, Darlene does, but also at the same time, uh, in a way she doesn't at this point i mean it mostly kind of goes you know kind of makes you question when she's saying all these things about stop spazzing be cool or you know it's time for us to stand up you know like trying to raise their morale is a more so a more so her trying to raise their morale and keep them going or mostly just trying to keep herself going and i guess make herself believe that okay again this is only about you know this is only one part of the battle in this entire war that we're playing um, and then again, you've also got new recruits in F Society, and most of these people, um, for you know, <coughs> our understanding, weren't even around for the Five Nine hack to actually be executed. Well, technically, nobody except Elliot and Tyrell were there to execute the hack. But um, as 
also as the group has the group has grown so that sense of her to maintain control of everybody you know she's having she's the one that's again having to maintain the control within the group and keep have everybody keep their cool and right now it's a battle that she's losing Mm-hmm. So it was more for maybe more so for herself as as well as others, but maybe a little right. bit for herself. Yeah. yeah, I like it. I just can't wait for a scene between Darlene and Philip Price, because I think those characters are just so similar in the most bizarre ways that mm-hmm. I really want to see that play out. It would be like Elliot and Joanna in the finale. I'm just like, oh, beautiful people. <laughs> yeah, that would actually be really good to see them. And then. Michael Christopher is just what I love about his character and just him as an actor, especially with this role, that he's able to be so intimidating and he doesn't really have to do much. Like he doesn't have to raise his voice or anything. He just can give you a look and you're just cowering or anything, something like that. Um, but he's really good. He's described Philip Price as this sci- as as if he were a scientist and people are just subjects that he's experimenting on go, you know, trying to change this variable with this one person and control, you know, using this person as the control within his experiment mm-hmm. just to see how it'll play out. Thanks for bringing up uh, Philip Price because that's the best segue in the world. Yeah. So <laughs> let's just dive into what he's been up to this episode. Um, him and Angela had a conversation in his office where you know, about his TV appearances and what he's going to talk about. And it turned into um, an invitation to dinner uh, for Angela at this uh, high flute restaurant that we mentioned earlier. Before even that, he he pointed out a picture in his office that she stares at a lot, apparently. And uh, he had like one of the best lines in, in the show where it's a uh, it's about how paraphrasing, of course, the how one man can change the world with just one shot or one shot can change the whole world um i feel like that has a a big significance on the show overall as well as this episode because you know it kind of started off with mobley finding romero's body shot maybe and Mm -hmm. and um you know that also is about the five nine hacks and things like that so i i wanted to get you guys feedback why do you think price pulled up that uh or he wanted to tell that to to Angela, like, why did he make it a point to uh, say what what he did? Uh, here, we'll start with you. Well, I think also to prove the point um, that there have been some literal inst- um, instances within the show where literally someone uh, with one bullet <laughs> um, has changed the course of um, how the world or this story will con- will try to play out. But then also there are instances where it didn't have to necessarily be a bullet. It could have just been by making one choice, you've changed the world. Like everyone that was in the room with Terry Colby, by making that one choice, you have changed the worlds essentially of everyone that was affected by you all making that one decision. Um, So yeah, I think that that could definitely be taken literally, but also not literally. And, um, just also, I mean, the fact that it was a poster depicting the uh, assassination that led to World War One, I, I felt was really interesting um, because essentially the Archduke was considered a threat to people. And um, I think that Angela in that, you know, Angela, I think, does 
represent a threat to them. Um, but I love how with her, I love how with Angela, she is constantly on the fence and there is that conflict of us and uh, the actress playing her Portia Doubleday. Like we really don't know which direction she's going to go. Like, I think that she's just constantly running into multiple forks in the road. And again, she's having to make that one choice to, and to change the world because she wants to make a difference in everything. It's just, what is she going to do in order to do that? Right. And we see later on, like after dinner, um, price pulls out a a CD with damning evidence for the two people that join them for dinner Mm -hmm. um, and how they were the ones who were responsible for covering up the adverse health effects in her hometown on the workers, you know, which led to Angela, you know, her big story in season one was about bringing up that civil case against them. What I'm trying to get at is that was her, her <laughs> choice. That was her shot to change the world. So Sarah, like, do you think first, well, first of all, why do you think Price gave her that opportunity to put the men behind bars or spare them? And secondly, do you think Angela's going to go through it, go through with it or not? Um, I think it relates back to what Akira brought up before about Philip Price. He sees people as um, like a social experiment and factors in it. So he sets up the equation and he doesn't really know how everything's going to play out because people are variables. Um, But he is testing them. And I I honestly don't know what she's going to do. I'm curious to find out and I think that's why they left us there but I also want to go back to what we were talking about before in relationship to the painting and the the shot heard around the world and about this idea that um, everyday people can at some point in time or just by a small choice or a very big choice end up behaving in a way that makes them feel very godly and it's it it triggered that to me because it i took me back to that line that tyrell has on the phone with elliot where he is talking about that night and how with by hitting execute and by triggering the whole five nine hack they became gods that night and so for them and for tyrell that was the shot that has triggered everything. And it also just goes back to how Elliot's the hero. And in the pilot episode, he's condemning the men who act like they're gods. And yet by the end of the season, he's doing something where all of a sudden he's the one whose action can be seen as that too. So it it plays with that duality. And I think maybe they're they're continuing to stretch that out thematically with it. Yeah, like uh, uh, people are in pursuit of power, and with power they um, they want change, or they, they want to somehow influence the world as they see fit. So I think that's an interesting insight. Um, switching gears now, I just wanted to throw out a quick question. We it's been three episodes now, and we haven't really seen Elliot interact with a lot of main characters besides maybe like Gideon. He's made references to like maybe Darlene's visited them, mm-hmm. but we don't. We they've uh, the writers and producers kept them kind of separate so far. Why do you think that that is? Um, Kira, we'll start with you. Um, I think that for now it's kind of going into play of like um, 
Elliot needing that isolation a bit um, to just disconnect as much as he can while he's trying to deal with um, the aftermath of realizing that Mr. Robot is a manifestation that he has created. Mm -hmm. Um, And also like he was talking about talking to Krista about everything outside of what he's the current situation that he's in right now, that all represents his old life. And even like he's even saying that I don't at that point, I don't trust him. Um, I guess referring to Mr. Robot um, because he doesn't necessarily understand it per se. So again, for me, it's just like him needing that complete disconnect and trying to make sense of what is going on with that, but also to gain some sort of control over Mr. Robot um so yeah so he knows just... it's kind of in his head so therefore it's mm-hmm. his battle to fight and no one else can really help him well right. yeah it, i mean it could be that but for whatever reason i'm gonna take the chair of being the conspirist here because last episode i was totally anti-conspiracy theories in the mr robot fandom now you're on the uh, <laughs> conspiracy bandwagon all I'm saying is that for whatever reason, watching this episode, mm-hmm. if you just cut out Elliot's storyline and who's he interacting with and how those interactions play out, and you kind of remove the scenery and replace it with a psych ward, it makes those interactions a lot more sense. And it also is... Um, it speaks volumes that in that scene between Trenton, Mobley, and Darlene, they they don't really talk about where Elliot exactly is. There's no reference to it. It's almost like they it's not they don't go outright and say no we can't because he's locked up or we can't because he's just mentally unstable right now so they don't really give any hinting at how much anyone in that room really knows where or what Elliot is up to these days even though like you said before Matt there's been mentions that Darlene has gone to visit Elliot, which is also suspicious considering like visitors, like family members usually do visit loved ones when they're mm-hmm. locked up. And so they could have said right, like, but they, also, oh, right. Okay. But then also um, in season one, whenever anyone needed, whenever anyone within F society needed to go directly to Elliot, <laughs> it was always Darlene, you know, yeah. if it was at his apartment. It was always Darlene that went there. You know, no <laughs> one else ever, you know, if That's Elliot, true. If Elliot ever needed to converse with anybody else, it was usually him going to them. Um, So that's, I mean, I guess you could say one hole to try to poke there. But then also with the theory, I can see where people would um, draw those conclusions. Um, But also, I'm not ready to jump on board of that theory just yet. Um, Mostly primarily because of Sam being so adamant that this show and and him uh he's not about having those gotcha moments and right I think definitely after season one I mean I'm also as a viewer now I'm just mostly like okay I kind of don't want to treat this 
as a whole got season two as another all right let's try to find the whole gotcha what is the big reveal Mm -hmm. here when essentially we've been told that this season is basically going to be filling in the holes of those three those missing three days and then also giving you the backstory of f society and everything i mean i could be wrong as far as this um as far as the theory that's going around but because sam isn't about the whole got ya moments and even and even with season one that he even said that the whole Mr. Robot reveal wasn't supposed to be a gotcha. He was like, no, yeah. I want you guys to get that from Jump. Um, so for that reason, that's why I'm kind of, you know, just sitting back and not ready to jump on that bandwagon just yet. But I understand where, what's I understand given what's going on so far, how people could jump to that conclusion. But then again, I don't know. But also, And then also remembering back in season one, we were told um, during the Television Critics Association panel that they had, Sam was even saying, oh, yeah, there's some other stuff that wasn't real, too. So, yeah, again, you know, I, I mean, I never want to be so I'm always careful in saying that I'm not my answers. Don't take my answer as gospel because right. I could be wrong the next week. To quote yeah. Dogma, don't believe, just have a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just wondering where you were last week because we had Carrie on and she's the one who brought up the whole theory. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> For a lot of the same reasons. Sarah said no probably 20 times. No, absolutely not. That is, no. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid a bit. Well, that's <laughs> a little, a little sip at a time. No, uh, maybe it's such a, like, maybe a widespread or like a strong kind of argument for what's happening because you see, like you mentioned, Sarah, like those parallels, you know, like, you have the church group, which is like group therapy. You know, he has access to um, like Adderall because Leon, for some reason, has it. Maybe like Ray is kind of like a like some kind of a one on one counselor or something. You know, you yeah. see these kind of parallels with an actual you know institution that helps people get better, conquer their demons, and put them out in the wild. Like it's it, it's such a strong like all these little like the imagery is there so maybe that's why it's such a big um a popular theory so, you um, know it's um before we move on matt i just want to bring up and kind of help you with that segue because well, thank you <laughs> you're on my crutch sarah <laughs> yeah yeah but i think it's this episode surprised me in what they did with both of the brand new characters of ray and agent i'm gonna call her dom because I get lost when I try to say her last name. But with Ray and Dom and how even though Ray's mainly the one interacting with Elliot, both of them still share a lot of similarities with Elliot. And we see that right away when out of nowhere, Ray's talking to apparently no one, which I was I really like that moment job well done and then i like how that's used at the end for ray to reach out to elliot and find that common ground with him and i thought that was a really good moment and really unique to setting setting up a different dynamic from what vera and elliot had in season one because i've always for whatever reason had this opinion of ray this year becoming like the quote-unquote vera of the season but this episode kind of turned that on its head Mm mm-hmm And then in comparison to Dom, who is really not interacting with too many other characters, um, if not at all, and yet she plays a major part in this episode, and I... 
I didn't pick up on it while I was watching, but definitely after about how a lot of the moments where it's just her in her apartment feel very similar to Elliot alone in his. And you feel that same loneliness in both of these characters and also social anxiety. (coughs) I thought that was so well done, especially because she is like that, that in the background looming threat because she is working for the government hunting down who's responsible for the five, nine hack. Right. Yeah. I think, um, you picked a great word, lo- uh, loneliness, and I think that's a huge theme throughout just the entire show, both season mm-hmm. one and two. Because yeah. you see Elliot deal with it in season one, and then two, he adds two more characters. Like I think there was a little flash on her phone of like, how to conquer social anxiety. And I'm just like, what? Um, and, that... Yeah, it was the Joyable app. Yeah, I did not know that. Is... I looked it up. I was like, oh, this is a real thing. I know yeah. That. And, um, you know, speaking to Alexa, you know, as like a person in the room, like, when's the end of the world? And, of course, the Amazon little thing doesn't know what it means. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or gave kind of then a smart also, answer, think of it. <laughs> but then also asking Alexa thing questions to, some, like, you know, like, oh, Alexa, what time is it? I'm like, you were just looking at your phone and it has right there what time it was. Right. Right. The, you know, the, again, the, it just goes to show that loneliness that. Okay, yeah, even though I do know what time it is, just for the sake of having someone to talk to. Alexa, what time is it? Yeah, because the way she said it, I thought she had a roommate. And then it took me a moment before I'm like, oh, she's talking to a computer-like robot. That's mm-hmm. crazy. It's pretty fun to play with that. My my roommate has that. And I was just like, Alexa, blah, blah, blah. Wait a second. <laughs> Alexa yeah. is Mrs. Robot. To a degree. <laughs> To a degree, yeah. Bum, bum. Um, then, also, it's been interesting to see the um, commentary between of people comparing Alexa to Siri. And uh, some people are like, well, Alexa doesn't really have the tongue-in-cheek, uh, smart-aleck answers that Siri does. Yeah, um, I don't, I mean, I don't know if Alexa really will try to troll you as Siri would do. Almost to the point where you start cursing at Siri. Yes, I'm guilty of having done that once um, <laughs> for something Mr. Robot related. Give me That's the answers, enough. damn it, Siri. <laughs> no, okay. So what happened was, um, I'm yeah. What happened was, I just asked Siri to play because um, I have the music playlist from from season one. And then as uh, as I'm adding to it with season two up on my phone, so I'll just ask Siri, oh, Siri, play Mr. Robot playlist. And instead of playing the music, she starts playing the Mr. Robot podcast. And I'm like, <laughs> play Mr. Robot playlist. And again, she starts the podcast. And then I just, wait, are we allowed to curse? Absolutely, yes. yeah. Okay, uh, so after... Okay, so after she said, after she plays the podcast, <laughs> starts playing the podcast again, I'm like, bitch, I said playlist. <laughs> And then she's just, wait, what did you say? And I'm like, you heard me. Oh, that's what I thought you said. I meant you too, Suri. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just these funny interactions that I had with Suri over Mr. Robot where I'm, I end up calling Suri a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I that's think what's great name. is after they show that whole Alexa thing, it's like it cuts to a commercial and like one of them is for, you know, it's like an Amazon's like uh Alexa commercial with like Adam or what's his name? Alec Baldwin or whatever. I don't uh, know. Yeah, Alec Baldwin and Missy Elliott. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was so great. I was like, even they're even creative in their integrated product placement. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then um, I did hear that if anyone watching the show actually had an Alexa, 
within earshot of their TV, um, as Dom was asking the questions, your Alexa actually would also have start ans- started answering the questions too. Oh, that is so dope. <laughs> Yeah. So I was like, wait, what? Like, sorry, I didn't I didn't say anything. Sorry. Alexa, I didn't say anything. Um but yeah, I, I'm I always that would've that would have been hilarious. Um, you know, had I had an Alexa, but I don't. But yeah, I doubt that Siri uh, Siri's answer as far as as far as the end of the world would be that detailed. Some levity, I guess you would say. But still um still grounded and, and still very informative to who um Dominique DiPiero, I guess. Is that my, that's my best try at it. DiPiero? I'm going to have to watch it again, but like Sarah, I just call her Dom. Yeah, okay, so <laughs> FBI agent Dom. So we we see that she is uh, she's very good at her job because she does her homework on Romero's uh, mother, grandmother? Mother. Mm-hmm. And um, she helps her, you know, roll up some joints to get rid of her, uh, to keep her arthritis at bay. And she literally, she follows a literal paper trail. I think that was kind of funny. Or one piece of paper, I guess you can say. Um, inside the box of, like, moving things, uh, <laughs> of plates and whatever. <laughs> what? Was that funny? Moving... Sorry. This is the way you said it. <laughs> moving things. things? <laughs> like, I forgot that she was going through moving boxes and so I thought like you had watched a different episode or something where there was something alive in a box but that makes oh, no sense. Oh I see what you mean. Not, it, was, it was not an animate object. There, were all there was nothing objects. in the box. There were plates, <laughs> there were covered glasses because you want to go get a glass of water. Uh, she uh, unfurls some scrap paper and notices that it's code uh, mm-hmm. or command lines or whatever and uh, she finds the uh, end of the world party that they threw and decides, hey, that's a pretty cool clue, dude, and finds the Fun Society Arcade on Coney Island, and it ends with that. So yeah. Uh, yeah. we will end the podcast with theories on what well, she's going to find wait, in wait, 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 Matt, wait, Matt, 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 Matt. What, what did I miss now? Did you not take any Adderall before you started recording this thing? Oh, or- well, you started like, talking about Ray, so... Oh, so it's my fault. It. Yeah, absolutely. It's your fault. Isn't it not always your fault? Such a, you're acting really a lot like Elliot right now. Stop blaming me. Are they going to call me a Siri? <laughs> <laughs> you're acting like a Siri right now, so shut up. <laughs> so, before we end the podcast, there was one of the best scenes. It The only thing that it didn't have was Elliot drinking a Frappuccino. It was the super vanilla drink. latte. Vanilla latte. Oh, it was a vanilla latte. Excuse me. Man, you know everything. Boom. Boom. I f- you I f- got told. I'm imagining a fist bump between you and Sarah right now because I think you beat Sarah uh, correcting me to that. So the Adderall scene, another part of what makes this show so much fun is that they have these very surreal type of moments, surreal sequences. Um, uh, this episode had Elliot. He found out the key to being in control and uh, getting Mr. Robot away is to take Adderall. And not just, you know, the regular starting dosage of 20 milligrams for most people diagnosed or uh, yeah. dosage with that. Uh, 200 milligrams worth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which is 10 times the normal amount. Is my math correct? He, I hope so. It's just a little yeah. off. A just little more. Just add it to zero. And being up uh, six days straight with no sleep. That's ridiculous. Yeah. 
And even Leon is calling him out, like, before we, before he really dives into the uh, Adderall scene. But he's, you know, and even tells him, uh, I ain't your keeper, but I damn sure ain't gonna be your reaper. Um, <laughs> I love that line. So but, yeah, I mean, again, I mean, I've said, I'm pretty sure a lot of other people have said, too, like, the second um, Joey Badass appears on the, appears on your screen in, season, uh, in episode one, you're just like, I love this guy, and I need to have him in every single episode. It's almost like, excuse me, what are you doing here? Please stay. <laughs> no, it's like, where have you, also, where have you been? But actually, a little trivia, um, Sam Esmail actually tried to get Joey Badass. He's wanted him ever since season one, and he tr- wanted to try to get him involved in season one, but um, circumstances, whatever they may be, um, didn't allow that to happen. But he um, was really gung-ho about getting him for season two and was able to make it make it happen. Um, and I'm very glad that it was able to happen because I just love him. You know, yeah, cause yeah. All, if, I think everyone feels about Seinfeld the way that he feels sometimes. <laughs> well, but also, but I've even said uh, as far as his commentary with Seinfeld, I almost feel like in some ways his character kind of represents us talking about Mr. Robot. That whole is really fucking with me. Yeah. And, you know, like maybe I'm overthinking it. But, um, but yeah, but I just love his character. And then... um. And then we get to see um, Elliot just take these, uh, oh. take all this Adderall as if it's a bag of Skittles or something. And um, they did a good job of making it look delicious. It looked like candy. Yeah. <laughs> Close up shots of him picking it out and he's right. it down. Yeah. Well, it did not look like candy when it came back up. Yeah. No. <laughs> okay. Um, but again, oh, yeah. that, that, but I do, I have to say, um, that scene in particular, um, I mean, I said earlier that that whole, El- well, Elliot going through his vomit trying to get the Adderall back in his system was, I think you got to be pretty desperate to, you know, main- to get some type of control over these two, uh, over these two entities of yourself. Um yeah, to do all that, but also I think it also goes to show Mr. Robot's desperation being that he's shoving this stuff down his throat in order to get him to throw them up in the first place but then also there was some people are saying oh no that's just elliot's reaction after chugging that much adderall that could be it i mean i don't know i've never really i mean that could be but again i think that it does also show desperation on both parts for that control between the Mm -hmm. two of them yeah, I, th- I, th- right. I thought the uh, reaction of Mr. Robot to Elliot picking out the Adderall and eating it again, just genuine disgust. And I want to do a little round of applause for Christian Slayer because it's like... That was everybody. Yeah, like it looks... He not only embodied the audience, but he was like... It's almost as if he didn't know that <laughs> that uh, that Rami was going to do that. So he's like, oh my God, what the hell are you doing, dude? Because um, picking it off the floor, yeah, it was... Desperate is, is the right word for sure. Right, right. I kind of felt like he had the same reaction um, back in the second episode when Elliot, like, has that mental breakdown where he just starts laughing hysterically to the point of being is disturbingly insane. Um, I, I felt like they were similar. This, this whole sequence, though, the editing was so on point. I mean, in Mr. Robot, it's always on point, but really, it just made me... I loved it so much because it was so great, and I like those image, 
that imagery that they used where it almost felt like Elliot was a computer himself and being mm-hmm. computer program and malfunctioning. And that was so vivid and so powerful. And he's going through the motions and then he's at the diner and then they just cut and he's like, you're not really buying this. And it's like, he puts back off the hood. And that was so beautiful and well yeah. executed that like that was powerful. And it goes back to that I this idea of where we're really seeing in this whole sequence Elliot's perspective like it almost feels like for the first time because you when you see the van pull up and the guys get out for whatever reason at least I did I thought it was Ray who was coming after Elliot to grab him and when you get the reveal that it was really robot working by makes sense and it just goes back to like this it goes back to actually that final moment between ray and elliot and how when ray walks away it's really mr robot standing behind him because at the end of the day for elliot that's the real adversary in his life it's his own subconscious Mm -hmm. but then also mr robot has been telling him you know i'm not something to be gotten rid of you know like you need to realize that Mm -hmm. i'm vital you know, you might, you know, and I, and again, with Elliot going into that, his own personal version of a kernel of a kernel panic um, and trying to get rid of Mr. Robot, that was his fatal er- internal fatal error. So he's having it's having yeah. his, having to recorrect, you know, reboot itself. Yeah. And then also uh, that I guess I'll, that also leads us to his uh, rant at the church group. Oh, the rant. That, that rant. And I love how he that capped rant, it with, though. He capped it with, oh, shit, did I just say all that out loud? <laughs> yeah. Oh, but actually, to backtrack to the, uh, you know, with the Adderall high, before he goes into the uh, internal error um, part, um, that to, that whole sequence to me was his, uh, his euphoric, I guess, sequence was um, this season's uh, Steal My Sunshine moment. Um, mm-hmm. but, and his vanilla latte moment was him just screaming and cheering at the basketball game. Yeah. Making everyone uncomfortable around him. Yeah. <laughs> what but does I- he say before? He's like, the ball goes into the hoop. Oh my God, I get it. <laughs> but it's, and it's just so hilarious considering how he felt at the beginning of the season where he's like, I really don't get why people make such a big fuss about this game. And also I'm I'm like, at that point, I'm like, this show gets me so much, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but but then also I'm like, yeah, that screaming and wooing. I'm like, yeah, I wish I could do that, but probably, you know, I probably will only do that for what we call soccer. Yeah, (laughs) that's it. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) What we call soccer, you know, we, yeah, but I'm always we, like, dude, people. call it by, I'm like, dude, call it by what it is. It's football. But yeah. yeah. And that's your sports minute with Akira Sarah. Man, so. <laughs> Not even a minute, like 30 seconds. 30 seconds, yeah. Like, that's it, guys. We All got right. one sports reference. It's usually me. So thank you for digging that. So obviously, the, the Adderall doesn't work. You know, he can't stay awake for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. And like you mentioned, Mr. Robot said, you know, I am a mainstay. I am here for life. Uh, how do you think Elliot will then try to stay in control if drugs doesn't work? Um, Akira, we'll start with you. Um, I'm, I don't know. I'm not sure how he's going to do that. I think that if anything, I think that 
this episode has probably taught him exactly what Mr. Robot's been trying to say is that I am something that's vital to you. Um, you know, you tried to get rid of me and your whole system shut down. And I think that they're probably going to try to find some type of common ground, how that's going to happen. I don't know. But, um, as Sam has said, this whole season is basically about, um, Elliot trying to reconcile that revelation and I think now he's had an, I mean, and he's also had a revelation again with this season and realizing what Mr. Robot has been saying is true, that you can't get rid of me. Try as you might. It's not going to work. So now he has to, I guess, realize or just accept that I can't get rid of this person. So he again has to try to reconcile now that, that he has to, I guess, go through life with this manifestation that he's created so and then towards and because towards the end of the episode once um he has a talk with ray and then ray gets up to set set up the chess game we do see that mr robot has come back and there is no dialogue spoken between mr robot and elliot but i think that there's starting to be some sort of an understanding between elliot and mr robot that yeah so where do we go from here yeah, so I was thinking about that idea that potentially because season one begins and seemingly Elliot is in control of Mr. Robot. Granted, he also has a break of consciousness either before season even begins. So I'm still speculating that there were events before that led to and I know that it was even said in season one where he does get um, it's a court mandated therapy with Krista. So mm-hmm. something happened that led to that. And which means for me, from my perspective, that's something involving Mr. Robot, like taking over. And so Elliot then having to do something. So I almost feel like really Elliot's own insanity is also a cycle and that like like as even though we're in i don't know if it's cycle two or cycle three of this whole um thing he has going on with mr robot i feel like whatever the conclusion is at the end of the season we're also gonna hopefully get some insight into what has come before and how there is that secular nature between them and this dance that they do and this pattern of um control and anarchy well said sorry you just blew my mind i have (laughs) nothing i have no words to comment on that not even leg could stop me (laughs) (laughs) never mind so concluding the episode we find that fbi agent Dom, we'll call her Dom. She has a very hard name to pronounce. She's... We all agreed to that already, Matt. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. Sorry, <laughs> I'm just. You know what? You're right. So we find out that she is, and she's part of investigating the murder. Um, she asks him, starts asking him some questions, visits uh, Romero's mother, and she finds in some of the moving boxes um, a flyer for the end of uh, end of the world party um, at the uh, Fun Society arcade. So she tracks it down all the way to Coney Island, and that's kind of like the last kind of shot we see the end, to close the episode. 
So I wanted to ask you guys, what are some theories about if uh, what kind of evidence she'll find in the arcade, or will she find any at all? Um, Akira, we'll start with you. It's very questionable. I mean, I know that F Society thinks that they covered their tracks by having that party. So there's like so many fingerprints. How can you distinguish between this and that? Um, but then also, um, I mean, I want to see if I can tie this into um, an article that um, that Defcon's Jeff Moss was saying um, in reference to episode one with the whole. Okay, well, hold on. There's, you know, you get one person's cell phone and then you track that location and then you notice that somebody else was there. But again, maybe not because no one really used their phones while at F while at the arcade. But um, mm -hmm. unless they hashtag the party pictures, like hashtag end of the world party. <laughs> yeah, but then, but then, but then again, I mean, I. Yeah, I mean, I, F Society had moments where I guess they figured that they may have covered their tracks, but also at the same time that there probably was some fate. There had to be, there had to have been some fatal error um, with, you know, with that. Um, so F Society didn't, um, didn't. I don't think obviously completely covered their tracks, obviously because Dom was able to go there, and then now she's going to try to go inside. So. Um, it will be interesting to see her going inside the arcade and seeing what they're seeing, whatever it is that she'll find out. But she's definitely someone that will not stop until she gets to the truth. Um, we know that. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, I mean, I just thought about right now, like maybe that's the reason why they started the episode with, um, you know, like that ghost story about the place. You know, mm -hmm. maybe she'll run a record of who owns the place because they said nobody's going to look through the paperwork for this. It's in limbo. So, yeah. you know, maybe that's the piece that you know, the next piece of the puzzle for her is like finding out who owns it. It's going to go to uh, Clyde, I guess. Right. That's the person's name. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. like, I guess, you know, somehow she'll find out Romero's in, involved in that way. That's the link. So, you know, maybe she'll. Maybe that's the next point. But do you think she's gonna break so. in before she does that, or? But she she already I knows think... Romero might be involved. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah, I mean, she was able to um, find that at his mom's house. Yeah, find that invitation. So, and well, just you, kidding, you know, guys. <laughs> you know, but also we know that, um, and the invitation even had the evil corpse symbol. Mm -hmm. oh, I didn't yeah, even so, see that. You're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's like, guys, come on. Again, it's like you know these little fatal, these little small but fatal errors. You know. Um... Well, I mean, whatever she could find in there could lead her right back to where they already know that Tyrell Wellick is involved. But and mm -hmm. maybe she's going to be the one who leads us to figuring out where Tyrell is right now. Could Still be. A big yeah. Question. Still a big question, yeah. What do you uh, think he is? I have no idea. Um, <laughs> that was in, totally what I said last week. He's on an <laughs> island in the middle of nowhere. He's in a sat phone. Uh, seriously, like for as much as I try to go over this show with a fine tooth comb, mm -hmm. I seriously, I seriously have my moments where I'm like Elliot after that revelation, where it's like I don't even know what's real anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I have those moments. Yeah. Any uh, last uh, points, uh, questions about the show you guys want to talk about? Uh, I think I'm good. I think I put out all the answers. It's uh, <laughs> a very, 
put all the we know everything that's what we're trying to say no i'm just kidding. yeah um so that's <laughs> it all figured out <laughs> right because this show is definitely an open book there's no mysteries at all <laughs> so that's gonna do it for our talk about almost said unreal for mr robot um want to thank again um sarah for coming on of course and for our new friend kira thanks for coming on yeah no problem thanks for having me it was great to talk to, with you guys about it it's uh it's very uh therapeutic to talk about this show with other people especially big fans like like you and and sarah so um do you want to tell the listeners where they can find you online uh yeah they can find me at the um the mr robot fan community hello friend um h3 l l zero f r e i three n d one um yeah check me out there um constantly posting every day and of course now with uh comic-con going on um to all the followers, uh, yeah, your t- your timelines are, have just been completely flooded with um, <laughs> all Comic-Con stuff from Mr. Robot. But if you guys have been following me for a while, you know that every major thing that happens, yes, your timelines get flooded. That's just what I do. Yeah, they just <laughs> wrapped up their uh, their panel, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm very excited to see what they had to say. Sarah, you want to yeah. tell the listeners uh, where they can find you online? You can find me at SJ Belmont, S-J-B-E-L-M-O-N-T. And my review of this episode is up on the GWW.com. And I can say from being a follower of Hello Friend, it is very much appreciated to get all your news on your timeline on a timely basis. Thank you. (laughs) I'm on a timely basis. We like it. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at Nerd, S-C-E-N-E-N-E-R-D. I've been your host, Matt. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, all that good stuff. Uh, at I'm Salzy. I am S-A-L-Z-Y. And with that, guys, uh, yo, just kidding. Uh, please go to the, the GWW.com to read about all our geeky opinions on comics, games, TV, and film. And check out all of our podcasts on the GWW Radio. We just put out um, our episode on Unreal with our super best friend, Carrie Gillette, on there. So if you're also a fan of good drama on Lifetime Network. It's oh. the Peabody Award-winning uh, Unreal, so be sure to check that out. And be sure to rate, subscribe, and comment on both iTunes and SoundCloud because we want to know what you guys like. We want to know if you want to have more stuff like this. What are you guys watching this summer? Oh Until God. then, good night and geek out. You're welcome. All right. Bye. <laughs> this has been a production of the GWW Radio Network. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Also, check out Geeks Worldwide at the GWW.com for all the latest news, reviews, and opinions on video games, comics, movies, TV, cosplay, and more. Geeks Assemble! We started talking about Dom... I just think of Vin Diesel from <laughs> Fast and Furious. How am I going to circle back? Okay. The way you said it, it almost sounded like you meant we started talking about dumb things. Dumb things. Like dumb. Like moving objects. <laughs> All right. Um, let me see here. Okay. I got this.